0: This time I'ma let it all come out, this time I'ma stand up and shout, I'ma do things my way, it's my way, my way or the highway! This is Lemony Snicket, and I would just like to warn all you listeners that you can turn back. You can turn back from this episode of Spall Talk, because it will bring you nothing but misery and woe. There are so many other podcasts around that will give you a a much more entertaining time. Perhaps you can listen to the latest episode of WTF, where Mark Maron talks for an hour about going to Starbucks before talking to Tom Arnold for 30 minutes. You can listen to the latest episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, whatever they do on that show, or you could keep going and listen to the Unfortunate Jacoby siblings talk about Lemony Sniggets, a series of unfortunate events. Hi, I'm Neil Jacoby. I'm Eric Jacoby. And this is Spall Talk, the only podcast where two siblings who know very little about Timothy Spall... Talk about the life and films of Timothy
1: Spall. Uh, we are going to continue to do this podcast until we're picked up by uh, AMC and we turn it into a television show called Better Spall.
0: <laughs> or Talking Spall. Or, you know, some
1: other
0: fun. Yeah, Talking Spall, where uh, Chris Hardwick hosts a show after a Timothy Spall movie every week. <laughs>
1: I'd what? No, I wouldn't. I was gonna say I'd watch that, but I, you know, you said Chris Hardwick, and you lost. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If you want to hear us talk about how we don't, uh, how we don't really like Chris Hardwick, you can listen to our other podcast, <laughs> uh, Hard Times.
0: <laughs> that's hard. Uh, but before times, we get s-
1: that's Hard Times, Daddy. But before we get started into the, uh, the actual show, there's a quick question that I wanted to ask you. What is that question? who is
0: timothy spall well in 1991 he guest starred in the series five red dwarf episode back to reality where oh there goes gravity oh there goes rabbit he choked he's so <laughs> mad but he won't give up that easy no he won't have it he knows he's whole, his whole backs to the, he, his whole backs to these ropes it don't matter he's dope He knows that, but he's broke. He's so stagnant, he knows when he goes back to this mobile home, that's when it's back to the lab again, yo. This whole rhapsody better go capture this moment and hope it don't pass him.
1: So, Eric, who is Timothy Spall? Well, Timothy Spall uh, in this film is the uh, well-meaning but uh, bumbling Mr. Poe, who uh, is the manager of the Baudelaire parents' fortunes. Uh, it is it is his job to take care of the Baudelaire children while conferring them between various uh, guardians, of which he does not do a particularly good job.
0: Very few people in this movie do a particularly good job. That is true. That is true. By which I mean characters,
1: not like actors or crew members. Oh no, the the actors mostly did a great job. The crew members, I'm sure, did fine, but they, you know, they weren't really on screen.
0: This film which we've touched on, have our viewers seen it? And if not, could you describe the film to them, perhaps with a summary in a
1: moment? Well, I would be glad to. A series of unfortunate events based on the first three novels of the series of the same name by Lemony Snicket Uh, is a 2004 film uh, starring Timothy Spall and Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey plays Count Olaf. The plot is there's three uh, orphans named Violet, Klaus, and Sunny. Uh, Violet uh, likes to invent things. She's the oldest. Her younger brother, Klaus, uh, reads a lot. And Sunny is small and likes to bite things. Uh, And their parents, while they're out at the beach... Their parents uh, perish in a horrible fire which destroys their home. So they're taken to the house of their nearest relative, uh, by which Mr. Poe means the relative that lives nearest to them. Um, so they're, they're taken to Count Olaf's house, Count Olaf being uh, their their evil um, distant relative, played by Jim Carrey.
0: Uh Actually, he is their closest living relative. He's only a few, a few blocks away. He's not that distant.
1: Yeah, but he is evil and he mistreats them, forces them to do uh, all sorts of chores in his disgusting home, and, you know, even to the point of slapping Klaus in the face. He then attempts to murder them by hitting them with the train. Uh, But fortunately, these plucky kids are just smart enough to get out of that one. So instead, Mr. Poe takes them to another relative named Montgomery Montgomery who is a herpetologist, which is a word which here means one who studies snakes. And not one who studies herpes. No, that's a doctor. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's a herpetologist, and uh, he has a whole room full of reptiles. His assistant, Gustav, is uh, disappears under mysterious circumstances and is replaced by Stefano, uh, played by Count Olaf, played by Jim Carrey. Uh, Stefano murders Montgomery Montgomery um, with a snake bite. Uh, well, with a with a what's the word? Um, it's one of the words that means fake. A simulated snake bite. Yes. Uh, he claims that he's been killed by the incredibly deadly viper. However, as we smart watchers of the film know, the incredibly deadly viper is one of the least deadly vipers uh, on the planet. It was and given most that friendly. name. And most friendly. He was given that as a name to sort of trick uh, the herpetologists as a funny joke. So, you know, he's of course foiled again. The children are not put into his care, and they're instead delivered to uh, another relative named Aunt Josephine, who is afraid of uh, everything. Particular fears include doorknobs, she's worried if you touch any of her glass doorknobs they will explode into a thousand pieces and one of them could hit you in the eye, uh, hot food because she's warned that it might start a fire, uh, being near the refrigerator because it might fall on you and squish you flat, and uh, realtors for no particular reason. Uh, they live on the shore of Lake Lacrimose which is a, a dismal lake filled with uh, horrifying leeches that if you've eaten in the last hour before you get into the lake uh, will smell the food on you and come and eat you alive so uh, they again at the market meet Captain Sham played by Count Olaf played by Jim Carrey uh, who is a sea who claims to be a sea captain but of course is not Uh, and then he attempts to murder Aunt Josephine but instead sends her to exile in a cave on the other side of the lake Uh, She leaves a coded message to them, letting them know that she's hiding uh, in the lake, in in, in a cave, uh, while Count Olaf attempts to murder the children via hurricane. Uh, They are, of course, plucky and smart and find their way out of that one, find their way across the lake to Aunt Josephine. uh, And then as they're on the way back across the lake, they get uh, found by Count Olaf. If I may may interject. Go ahead ahead.
0: I don't think he is attempting to murder them via hurricane. He did not he didn't start the hurricane. It was always it turning was always since burning. the world. <laughs> I I think it's just an unintended consequence that the hurricane puts them in danger. Count That's Olaf possible. Count Olaf has many talents, but he is not a member of the heart program. He He is not he putting chemicals do... in the water to turn the frickin' frogs
1: gay. <laughs>
2: He is not one of the globalists. <laughs> uh,
1: parenthesis, 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 Count Olaf, close parenthesis, close parenthesis, <laughs> close parenthesis. <laughs> but anyway, um, they're found by Count Olaf. Count Olaf throws, them, throws uh, Aunt Josephine to the leeches, then nobly pretends to save Klaus in order for uh, Mr. Poe, played by Timothy Spall, to find them. Uh, upon seeing this act of heroism, Poe immediately puts Count Olaf back in uh, in charge of the children, where uh Count Olaf puts on another dastardly plot to get their fortune by uh, marrying Violet in a ceremony disguised as a play. And you know, it looks uh for all the world like he is one and finally, Uh, got one over on on these tricky orphans until Klaus, using his ingenuity and smartness, uses a magnifying glass to burn up the wedding certificate, Uh, at which point there's a little more falling action and then the film ends.
0: Well, it's not just a magnifying glass. It is a special magnifying glass built into his tower that he uses to start house fires, including the one that killed the Baudelaire parents. He did start the fire. He did, Mm -hmm. but not the hurricane.
1: That's true. That is true.
0: (laughs) Uh, You're really starting to break up. Am I? Uh, You're fine now, but it it got a little scratchy
1: during parts of the summary. Sorry about that. I'll do better. It's alright. I'll speak loud and clear so that the internet carries it better. So
0: (laughs) we're going to do our uh, patented bit, which is completely original, where we talk about spall wonders and a spalling moments. I'll go first. My spall wonder is a small scene, a small line, during that scene with the car that you mentioned, where he attempts to run them over with the train. Mr. Poe notices that Sonny has been left in the car unattended, and she is in the driver's seat, so he assumes that Count Olaf lets Sonny drive them. <laughs> And so mm-hmm. he t- he takes them out of Olaf's care, and Klaus tries to you know bar he tr- he tries to tell him the truth. Count Olaf, excuse me, Count Olaf tried to kill us.
1: And Mister Poe responds, "Don't be silly. The vehicle wasn't even in gear." That was a good line. Uh, I I'd, I'd say that uh, one of the options that I was going to choose for my spa I Wonder, because there are a, a lot of good things in this movie. But uh, one of the first things I wrote down as a possible spalt wonder was also in that scene because the way he tries to kill them is he parks his car on the railroad tracks awaiting the train and then goes inside the convenience <laughs> store and just hangs around for like 20 minutes. Oh, and that was I, amazing. I, I, I found the montage of Count Olaf wasting time inside of a convenience store uh, incredibly relatable. There's, like one some re- the,
0: there, there's one really great bit where he's holding a, uh, I believe it's a Theater Digest, and it, there's a picture of Boris Karloff as the Lon- money or son- Chaney. Lon Chaney, yes. And that's in front of his face, and he sort of pulls it down, and it's, it's a very funny little <laughs> face bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's this montage of him trying on sunglasses, him uh, filling and then drinking various Slurpees. <laughs> Uh, going through magazine racks, and as someone who's driven a lot on the highway and therefore wasted an incredible amount of time in convenience stores, uh, I really connected with him in that moment.
0: There's a scene where he uh, opens the cold drink freezer and there is a a plethora of brightly colored sodas and it's a very well-framed shot, especially given the the color palette of the rest of the movie, to see those sort of brightly colored colored sodas contrasted with the sort of Sort of muted color scheme of the rest of
1: the movie mm-hmm. I have to say the cinematography of this film was impeccable, fantastic it was It was beautiful, just so, a very well shot uh, scene. There's one uh, shot in particular that I would like to bring up um, in the in the film uh, when he appears in the guise of Stefano, who is uh, an to Italian man who is an Italian man, so he claims. Uh, although, as we all know, if he was really Italian, he would have talked about how he shaved a pope. <laughs> but it might have been a cardinal. He, <laughs> but nope, he wasn't a pope. But uh, he's appearing in the guise of Stefano, and he threatens them with a long bowie knife, and then he, uh, he says, uh, you know, if you ever need me, I'll be down the hall, and I'm a very light sleeper. In fact, I... Hardly sleep at all. And then it cuts to a a fantastic shot of uh, of, of uh, up close on the left side of the door of the Baudelaire's bedroom, and then sort of in the background, uh, a hazier shot that you can just barely make out is Count Olaf sitting in a rocking chair. Yes,
0: it's very shallow focus, so the, the, mm-hmm. the door is the only thing in focus. The rest is sort of Michael manned out.
1: Yeah, and he has... The bowie knife in his hand and you can tell because as the rocking chair moves the light glints on and off the uh, the knife and as she sort of cautiously steps out of the room he stops moving and the light is fully on the knife and you know he says something like do you have a hall pass and then she goes back inside and he goes didn't think so (laughs) and it was it was very well shot yes so uh you're up next uh, for my uh, a spalling moment.
0: Either one, because you didn't actually mention a uh. Oh, was that the was that your uh spall wonder?
1: The convenience store was was okay. And then I just rambled because I enjoyed this film.
0: Okay, so now um, it's time for my a spalling moment. Go right ahead. Uh, in the in the hurricane scene, which is fantastically well done for for one a 2004 movie, which is like. It's right mm-hmm. outside the sort of Star Wars prequels zone of, of CG effects sort of coming into their own with sort of digital filmmaking. And there's a scene where they, they push an anchor off this platform that they have sort of been suspended on to sort of set it rocking so they can jump into uh, onto the, the more land-based part of the house. And the the anchor drops – It hits the beam, and then it hits a boat that is in the water, and there's a duck in that boat, and the anchor crashes through, the the duck flies away and makes a Gilbert Gottfried noise, and I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be an
1: Affleck duck joke. Truly a a spalling. Uh, Disgusting that they would try to pull something like that in a film such as this.
0: I I mean it's not it's not necessarily as a spalling as something from Sweeney
1: Todd. That is true. Uh, the whole of Sweeney Todd was. A, see, one thing that I wanted to mention about the, the the cinematography of this film is, it's a very thematically dark film, but it's um it's almost uh Tim Burtony, but it's well done.
0: As yeah, it's, it's to like Sweeney good Tim Todd.
1: Burton. Yeah, although I have to say that I'm not sure what time period this is really supposed to take place in.
0: I, I don't uh, think it's supposed to be in like any sort yeah. of definite time period. It's just sort of a vague, old timey-ish.
1: Yeah, but part of part of the aesthetic of the film is that Violet spends the entire film wearing a uh, sort of gothic type of type of gown.
0: Which, yes, yes, what a uh, Japanese streetwear enthusiasts might call gothic
1: Lolita fashion I would say it's what you would uh purchase in any hot topic at the time, or now that's
0: true or now it it's right next to the shirts with uh harley Quinn that say don't don't talk to me until I've had my coffee
1: <laughs> Harley <laughs> Quinn
0: Harley Quinn is the goth minions. <laughs>
1: are correct um i hadn't thought of that i actually have not been inside a hot topic since i quit my job at the mall and decided to never return
0: i have never been inside a hot topic so i am i am a complete poser
1: mm, i have also never
0: been inside a spencer's gifts oh good it's horrendous that that's where you get the shirts where it's the minions but they're actually goth
1: (laughs) That's where you get the shirts that are, like, Minions, but the Minion is, like, you know, drinking out of a uh, a, uh, a beer bong, <laughs> and on the back it says Trump 2016, <laughs> and then there's just, like, a penis on it. That's what Spencer <laughs> Gift is as a store. That's that's the sort of wares that they sell.
0: They're the ones where you get the shirt that has uh, the Minions, but they're dressed like Ten
1: Nugent. They have. I have a theory that uh, everything that's sold at Spencer's, if it comes in a box, is just a box of sand. <laughs> Like, it's just sand that's enough to weigh as much as it's supposed to weigh, and then you buy it and take it home, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, this is as valuable as what I was trying to buy. So, uh, like, I feel like if you're if you're ever going to spend any money at Spencer's, just light your money on fire instead. J- j- You'll get as much use out of it.
0: Just go to T-Shirt Hell instead, where you can buy the, uh, <laughs> You can buy a shirt that's the minions, but they're Varg (laughs) Vakurnis.
1: But uh, we should probably move on and talk about my a spalling moment.
0: Yes. And Um, not uh, alt right
1: minions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Prisonplanet.com. Well, actually, alt right minions are just Pepe. Ayo. But yeah, uh, there's not much that I would really call a spalling about this movie. Um, There's just a few problems that i had with it first of all it is um it's one movie made out of uh three books and you could probably tell as i was describing the plot that it's kind of a stuffed movie
0: yeah it, it is very uh, briskly paced
1: yeah it's 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 very quick which is it's not bad but there's not enough time to really build any sort of connection with any of the characters that died. It it doesn't hold on a moment Yeah. long enough uh, for anything much to happen. It's kind of like and, The Force Awakens. Uh, maybe. I don't really... It's been a while since I've seen The Force Awakens. It's
0: been a while. And
1: been a long time, been a long time. Been, been a long, long, lonely,
0: lonely, 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 lonely time. time.
1: <laughs> uh, as opposed to this movie, which I watched, again, about 15 minutes before we started recording this. Uh, which is becoming the spall talk tradition. Although I do have a good reason for it this time. And what is that good reason? Well, okay. Last last time with Sweeney Todd, I will fully admit I was just lazy and didn't get around to doing it. But um, this is going to be a good segue after I'm done with my my uh, spalling moment. This is going to be a good segue into next because we wanted to talk about our background with this movie. Yes. And I had we owned a copy of this in our you know, in our home with our parents, so I was... Before I just it got asked, burned down. Yeah, so I was going to ask uh, my mom to just mail it to me. Disclaimer, and our home did not actually get burned down. No, it didn't burn at all. We were fine. One time, a bush caught on fire right next to it. And I was uh, that like, was the hmm.
0: apartment, and, like, That's there was a weird thing with the furnace. About. Anyway,
1: I'm going to move on from there because I got confused there, but... I I I called uh you know or I texted mom to ask her to send the movie over and then she said sure and then she found it opened the case and it was empty so instead of doing that I had to get it from my local library uh so I had to get an interlibrary loan to get Ooh. this film so and I only got it last night so I didn't have enough, I didn't have much time to watch it
0: I just bought it for four bucks on Amazon on my PS3 because I have one of those now. Brag about it. It was actually the first movie I watched on my PS... No, wait. The Master was the first movie I watched on my PS3.
1: It's worth noting, it also took me around 20 to 25 minutes to figure out how to play a DVD on my laptop. (laughs) which I'm not proud of. I thought just Windows Media Player would work, but it didn't. I had to open up one of the apps that came with the computer, and that didn't work well at all. Like, I had to update it, and that took another 15 minutes because I'm a grandpa, and I don't understand how to use technology. Pushes up glasses.
0: Just use VLC, pleb. Eh.
1: But anyway, I'd say either that would be my moment or in all honesty i did not think the child actors did a very good job
0: i if we're great i i i grade on a curve with child actors they they were not that's the, fair they were not the best child actors i've ever seen but they were not they were not unbearable they were that's they were fair. solidly mediocre
1: i also wanted them to be british yeah uh, which they weren't which was a shame mm-hmm but anyway, yeah, that's that's my spalling moment. Uh, so let's, let's segue into talking about uh, you know, our background with this because we both grew up reading these books. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my earliest memories, uh, that I can actually think back to was it's the whole family was gathered in the living room, and you were reading the Carnivorous Carnival out loud ah. to
0: all of us. <laughs> even even at that young age, I was a what's a yes, nice please. way of saying Jump. complete show off uh theater kid sure even though you were the one that was actually in a a, a, a big
1: production sure i played tiny tim in a production of uh, of uh, the christmas carol
0: yeah indeed he did
1: and i was very cute
0: i don't sure i i don't remember still am <laughs> anyway we grew up reading these books. I also remember. If you'd got, like to slide into Eric's DM, email us at <laughs> talkingabouttimothyspall@gmail.com. But we, uh,
1: I, I remember we got pulled out of school like a half hour early so that we could see this movie. Yeah. When it came out. Uh, and in fact, just two weeks before you, uh, you said that we should watch this movie for Spall Talk. Two weeks before that, I had talked to a friend of mine, and we'd both decided to never watch this movie again for as long as we live. <laughs> so that plan kind of fell through.
0: And and why why did you make that vow?
1: Because we'd both watched it, my friend and I that I was talking to, we'd both watched it and enjoyed it when we were kids. And since then had heard negative reviews of it from various people. And neither of us were entirely sure if it would be good or not. <laughs> so so we were just sort of like, uh, I'm not going to take the risk. I'm going to let it stay good forever in my head.
0: Ah, the same reason why I haven't rewatched uh, The Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, not only did we see this, I believe, opening weekend, but we, we watched it in a sort of ad hoc double feature
1: with Christmas with the Cranks, the Tim Allen... Another movie that uh, looms large in my memory that I've decided not to watch because I want it to remain perfect. (laughs) I remember watching it as a child and being like, this, this is what cinema is. This is what film can do in the spirit of a human being. Yes, yes. It's my Citizen Kane.
0: A a middle-aged woman chasing a turkey around a grocery store. (laughs) This. Fuck the 400 blows. This is pure cinema. More
1: like that movie, 400 Blows. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> this guy knows oh. what I'm talking about. Look at my man. He laughing. He know. More like the Criterion
0: Own Collection.
1: <laughs> Got him.
0: Hit that yeet.
1: Be sure to listen to our other podcast where all we make is dumb uh, puns and own films, <laughs> which is called, uh, I don't know. I couldn't think of one off off the top of my head. The
0: Criterion Own Collection.
1: That's a good one. But anyway, uh, I don't know, we were we were both big fans of the book. We both watched the movie when we were young. I personally am a huge fan of the new Netflix show.
0: I have only seen the first episode and I was not a big fan, mainly because I kind of don't like Neil Patrick Harris.
1: That is fair. But, but he
0: But after some discussion with Eric, I have I've decided to give it another shot.
1: The show really picks up when they go into the reptile room. Uh, part of the of the series. I can see that. See, one thing that I wanted to mention, I, I made a note here that uh, that I liked in this movie, and I liked even more in the show, is that uh, as a huge fan of outrageous accents, <laughs> I I very much enjoy this. Uh, in, in the third act of the film, or when he plays uh, Captain Sham, <laughs> who's this? He's Popeye. This, this, he's essentially Popeye. I'm to be honest, when he's doing that, I can only understand about a third of the things he's saying. <laughs> but I'm like, this is incredible.
0: <laughs> Jim Carrey, surprisingly good. What do you mean surprisingly good? Given, like, later period Jim Carrey.
1: That is fair. I, I want to say Jim Carrey is not a bad actor. In fact, I don't think he's ever given a bad performance, but he has often been in bad films. Mhm. I I think I mean he's not like Mike Myers
0: where mm-hmm. where a lot of his stuff even when even his good stuff has profoundly bad moments.
1: I was going to say that uh that nothing Jim Carrey has done was as bad as Master of Disguise. <laughs> but that was Dana Carvey. But that was Dana Carvey. Uh,
0: that was another movie that we watched and loved as kids and we will never watch again.
1: <laughs> My friend Elise told me that when she was, I believe, six, she watched uh, Master of Disguise and that was the first time she realized that a movie could be bad. <laughs>
0: Uh, That actually came up in a uh, similar discussion about uh, the first time you realized movies could be bad on uh, my favorite place on the internet, Cinema Discusso, the Something Awful movie forum, and, like, three different people were like, yeah, Master of Disguise was the first movie I saw, and I was like, that was bad. Meanwhile, I was like, I actually liked it when I saw it, but it was like a running joke with the family for, like, Mm -hmm. at least, like, a year afterwards. It still is, to be completely honest. I feel like the uh, actual first time I realized movies could be bad was uh, Spy Kids 3D.
1: hmm The one I with Sylvester
0: I, Stallone.
1: I didn't see Spy Kids 3D in theaters, but we, I did get it from the video rental place, and it was in 3D, and it did not come with 3D glasses. <laughs> and that was not a good experience. Ah. Uh. Before, before we move on to something else, I do want to mention one more thing about the Master of Disguise. Do you recall the scene uh, where he oh, tries to gain Turtle access Club? to the yes. Turtle Club?
0: Oh, you're, you're going to talk about uh, the, the moment of silence? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that, that scene where he dresses, he's trying to gain access to an elite club known as the uh, Turtle Club. And what he does is he puts on a big suit that's like a shell, and he puts on a bald cap and glasses. So he essentially looks like a giant turtle. And he says the line Am I not turtly enough for the t- Turtle Club? And, you know, the answer is no, of course. And I learned recently that that scene was filmed. On September eleventh, two thousand one, as the attacks took place, and they found out about it while filming that, and they had a moment of silence on set. Dana Carvey uh, as a turtle. See, this is the only reason that I that I would ever doubt uh, Karl Marx, because he said once that uh, that history repeats itself first as as tragedy than is farce. Uh, I strongly believe that tragedy and farce are happening at the same time all the time.
0: You know, uh, William Duszynski, he put an image of the towers falling on the cover of the disintegration loops because those were were recorded during the aftermath of 9-11. I have no idea why they didn't pull the same trick with Master (laughs) of Disguise. You'd have motherfuckers given that 10 out of 10 if you did that.
1: I feel like – I do you remember – like, well, of course you don't remember, but I'm sure you know if right after uh, the weekend of 9-11, uh, Rudy Giuliani was on Saturday Night Live, and they asked, you know, can we be funny? And Rudy, as a joke, said, well, why start now? <laughs> I feel like on the set of Master of Disguise, they asked themselves, well, can we be funny? And then decided that the answer was no, <laughs> and then every funny joke from the movie. Which is why that film is now like a vacuum of humor. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, back to
0: Spall. Yes. I believe this is the part of the program where we start the discussion of
1: the film itself. The the more long-form, in-depth discussion. Yes. Would you like to start? Because
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sure. super distracted about by 9-11 and Dana Carvey. <laughs>
1: Sure, okay. Um, this also starts with a tragedy, although not an event that unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> it, but it is a building burning down. Um, uh, this was also an inside job. That <laughs> was... <laughs> <God> damn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, Jet the fuel little...
0: can't melt spyglasses.
1: Uh, the the Baudelaire Orphans are informed by Timothy Spall, Mr. Poe, that uh, their parents have perished in a in a fire which destroyed their their mansion and everything that they owned. Um, and one thing that I want to say is that the thing about having a podcast about Timothy Spall films is that um, oh most of the time it's not really about Timothy Spall. Yeah. He's he's not exactly a leading man, but this was a much bigger role I think than he had in Sweeney Todd.
0: And certainly a larger role than he'll have in our next film.
1: But uh, but spoilers, so you are gonna hold off on that for a minute. But yeah, um, is there anything you want to say about?
0: Um, I really, I'd uh, like to talk huh? about. I, I'm thinking of talking about more of a uh, a a, a film wide theme, which is that parents equal shit. <laughs> All of the adult authority figures are either well-meaning
1: but incompetent or outright evil. See, that's one thing that I wanted to bring up, and I considered making it my uh, Spall wonder because I I'm a huge fan of, of of that. I think it was very formative to me to have this this idea that uh, you know authority figures and uh, institutions um, are not going to be able to protect you. And I, I feel like especially given the current political climate, it's it's a very important message. You know, it's a, it's a good thing that if if you want to be protected from what's coming, you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. And you know, with other people that you know and you trust, like the other Baudelaire orphans, you know, you're going to have to start doing the work on your own because I feel like it's it's a it's a great uh uh. Allegory for American politics because you have <laughs> Count Olaf, who is the Republican Party, uh, and I think this is this is worth mentioning. This film came out in 2004, so coming uh, early on in the Iraq War, uh, right before George Bush won his second term. You have Count Olaf, who is the Republican Party, who you know is by all accounts straight up evil and only wants what's worse and is seeking his own ends. Uh, to the detriment of the Baudelaire orphans, which is the American public, and, and the world at large. Meanwhile, you also have uh, Mr. Poe, Montgomery Montgomery, uh, Aunt Josephine. Who is Josephine. obviously
0: uh, – Mr. Poe is obviously
1: an allegory for Tony Blair. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Justice Strauss, you have all of these people who are trying their best. They want They want to help out. The Baudelaire orphans, but they uh, just aren't equipped to do it. They they do not have the skill or the ability. They're easily fooled. They're uh, just not good at achieving what they mean to achieve. And they, of course, are the Democratic Party. And
0: and this is put in in this is brought to the fore when Aunt uh, uh, Josephine brings them to the cave, and her her plan is to just hide in that cave in perpetuity. Just just close herself off, and uh, as Garrison Keillor said, raise heirloom, heirloom tomatoes for
1: the next four years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, uh, uh, the children do eventually talk Aunt Josephine into leaving with them by preying on her feel, fear of realtors. Uh, Realtors, of course, are campaign finance reform. <laughs> and, uh, they leave across lake lacrimose and are confronted by count olaf who is the republican party uh at which point uh she you know for fear of her own life cuz she will be devoured by the leeches if she doesn't get help she offers to uh to work with count olaf and not say anything by the way um, the reason she will be eaten by the leeches of lake lacrimose is
0: that she ate before swimming failing to learn from the mistakes in her past that led to the death of her husband, Ike.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't even need to tell you what that is. You just understand.
2: George McGovern!
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, she she tries to work with Count Olaf, which is, of course, uh, the Democrats reauthorizing funding for the Iraq War after the 2004 or 2006 midterms. Uh, and then she, uh, Count Olaf just throws her to the leeches, uh, which is the war in Afghanistan. <laughs> I lost track of that, but I feel like it still came out alright. Okay, then, uh, what's the marriage? Ooh, I don't know. Uh,
0: privatizing Medicare?
1: Yeah, privatizing Medicare and Social Security, I guess. <laughs>
0: This is why a series of unfortunate events is the second greatest political allegory of our time, right behind Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of
1: Liberty. There's a point in the book where, um, uh, Sonny, uh, one of her nonsense things that she, she spouts is Bush, Bush Chaney. Yeah, Bush Cheney, which means, uh, you're a horrible person <laughs> and can't be trusted.
0: And when our mom was reading that to us, she got
1: so mad yeah she pointed it out and i was like i don't know i think it's just a nonsense thing she's like no it says bush cheney and i'm like i don't know about that mom <laughs>
0: oh. and with that i think we should take a break
1: yeah we'll take a break we'll regroup and have more spall right after these messages
0: we'll be back in two and two
2: shot, sit on your lazy butt, and watch all the TV you ever wanted, until your brain turned to mush, would you go for it, or just let it slip, yo, remote is ready, Wide palms are sweaty. The Slimstone's on the TV already. Wilma and Betty, no virgin. The channel servant, and I'm HD ready. So I flip. Garbage is all I'm getting. The Simon Cal, who folks wanna disembowel. He opens his mouth, always says something foul. They're dying, wow. Wanna are crying now. We votes them out. Time to throw in the town. Shows based on reality. Oh, the humanity. Oh, Aziz Family Show. Let's throw fast. go out to the kitchen and microwave something you're gonna lose your mind watching tv they told me they told me but i'm still tuning every show my cable gets c-span tv land and hbo the travel channel discovery and lifetime go on lose your mind watching tv they told me told me turn off those music videos i'm gonna watch c-span tv land and hbo the history channel and qvc and lifetime gonna... my blood is aching as i watch NASCAR racing that show about undertaking Mary King came to 24, to line to order, the weather channels boring, like 60 minutes, ancient reporters. Next up on E true Hollywood story, the rise and decline of 12 actors named Corey. Shows for next fall, they already been the C S I boise and touched by an uncle both sound pretty lamin'. So does everybody tolerate Raymond. The king of queens jumped the shark the first minute. I can't believe Richard Simmons ain't in it. I'll move right on the way. Goldman
0: And we're back on Spall Talk, the only podcast where two siblings discuss the life and career of Timothy Spall. We were talking about a series of unfortunate events, the 2004 film directed by Brad Silverling, which Eric has uh, dissected as a political allegory.
1: Yeah, it's there's only one film in history that's even more of a political allegory than this film, which is of course Suicide uh, Squad, Star Wars, uh, Revenge of the Sith. But um, I, I want to back off on that because I do talk about uh, politics a lot, or rather, spolitics. <laughs> but if you want to hear even more of that, you can check out my other uh, show. It's more spolitical called Funk House Berlin Every Saturday Midnight to Two.
0: Getting that plug in early, I see.
1: Yeah. Was, I'm going to plug it again later, too. <laughs> but I, I just want to establish that now. Plug also, early. I to say, plug, plug early. Often. Plug early. Plug often. Yes. I also wanted to say uh Spolitics before I forgot about it.
0: Uh alright. So after that atom that bomb of a discussion, let's let's move mm-hmm. on to something uh let's move on to discussing the production design. I found this to be a very well designed movie. There are there's a, a tension to detail in like the smallest aspects, the smallest aspects, if you will, mm-hmm. including the 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 tape players. That are in every car instead of uh, yeah. CD players,
1: real and the, to
0: real tape players. Yes, and the 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 five rearview mirrors in Count Olaf's car. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's also there's this, this is this is part of the reason that you're not entirely sure uh, when the movie is because he has he has an old car uh, and everything it's very old timey. But then as he's getting out and leaving them on the on the railroad tracks, he locks the car with like a remote thing. Uh, and you know, the, the little <laughs> things that you pull go all the way into the car, so you, you can't save themselves.
0: Yeah, that it's, that feels like an aftermarket
1: thing. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's it's a very well made movie visually. It's, well, it's when when you go into the uh, body shop to get your uh, neon lights on the underside, your big ass spoiler, <laughs> and your child murder locks. <laughs>
1: I was in I was in my friend's car once and she was like, "Hey, my brother put this in. Do you want to see this?" And she points to a switch that says "Turbo Mode." <laughs> and then she flipped the switch and it turned on a string of LEDs just like on the floor. <laughs> I guess all it was was LEDs around the edges of the car.
0: Uh, that that is a, a great modification. Perhaps the only yeah. one better is uh the one in Cornelius's car in Akewood that pours you two fingers of uh, whiskey.
1: I don't know. Don't drink and drive. That's that's the Spall talk motto.
0: Yes. Uh, even even in a crank operated car like Cornelius's.
1: Mm-hmm. Listen, if any of your friends are are a little too tipsy to drive, then uh, don't drink and take the keys for them because anybody. Uh, can be an angel, if only in a spall way.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. If, if your friend is attempting to drunken drive a crank-operated car, call them a horse and buggy.
1: Yeah. Or, or you know, just mess with the engine so that the car won't start and it'll only spall out. <laughs> I don't know. We're getting off on a tangent. Let's get back to the the, the production of the film. Were there any other particular shots there's a lot of of framing of uh you know big uh sort of production pieces with the Baudelaire's like right down in the middle like a sort of uh wes anderson type of thing yes i
0: i did get a sort of wes anderson uh a baby's first wes anderson feel Mm -hmm. from this uh since uh fantastic mr fox the actual baby's first wes anderson had not come out yet
1: yeah, the new series is even more Wes Anderson, if I have to say it myself, and a large part of it is because of the sort of sense of unreality in Wes Anderson movies, like the sort of the idea that this is this isn't real life, like it's a sort of mythical zone where anything is possible, which is how you have, you know, kids doing such crazy things. Mm-hmm.
0: And and speaking of mythical and unreal, The Littlest Elf. Let's mm-hmm, talk about
1: the that. The littlest elf. Uh, the way the film starts is, you know, you have the production company logos, and then it goes into a cheery animated uh, intro sequence.
0: Kind of a, a uh, Rankin
1: Bass kind of a deal. Yeah, like it's 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 brightly colored. Uh, you know, it's called the littlest elf, and you know it's very small and cute. And then Jude Law comes in, and he's like, "This is not the film you're going to watch today." There are very sad things, unfortunately, in this film, such as Chav nicking me mobile. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, other such.
0: Not not only does his voice come in, when his voice comes in, there's like a little uh, 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 projector reeling down type thing, and the lights go off in like the littlest elf thing. Like, all the characters are still there, but they're in the dark, and I think one of them even blinks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's very charming.
0: Yes. Uh, speaking of Jude Law, let's move on to uh, – well, no, no, no. The the Littlest Elf is a – it's a recurring thing. In mm-hmm. in the film itself, it seems to be a diegetic
1: part of their world. Sometimes uh, it'll come on – like, the theme will come on when they're listening to the radio. Uh, Count Olaf has a bobblehead in his car. That's the Littlest Elf that plays into their escape attempt. Yes. And and when
0: he is confronting them on his speedboat uh, after Aunt Josephine has fallen prey to the leeches, well, no, before Aunt Josephine has fallen prey to the leeches, he he compares their their dreams of a a safe and happy life as you know it, it's fantasy, just like the littlest elf. <laughs> and I I, know, I I think that's a very clever a very clever thing to weave in. Exactly. Exactly. One of my one of my actually one of my favorite parts about the books as a child was the the sort of metatextual mystery of Lemony Snicket himself that ran parallel to the actual story of the Baudelaires, and only kind of like branched out like there was a little diary thing like the unauthorized autobiography of Lemony Snicket, mm-hmm. and there was there really wasn't any attempt to give definite answers. There was just yeah. here are small bits of the mystery and I really like that that dedication to just not just just not having a, a a a conclusion to the mystery, just let it be unexplained and odd and have a tonal thing to
1: it. Exactly, exactly. There's a that happens a lot in the in the books. Um I don't know. I I was going to say something, and then I forgot. Sorry about that.
0: I I feel like if the Unfortunate Events books were coming out now, there'd be a fucking ARG about it.
1: it, There's another series, sort of like a prequel series to Unfortunate Events. Oh. Yeah, it's called uh, All the Wrong Questions. Ah. The first one is called uh, Who Could That Be at This Hour? And I read, like, the first 20 pages of it when I was waiting in in a Walmart once. Um, I have not gotten around to reading them. Honestly, i it's unlikely that I will because they're kids' books, and sometimes that's difficult to read.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I read the first Harry Potter book for uh, my British literature class because we were doing, like, 20th century British literature, and it was, like, right at the end of the 20th century. And I i found it the hardest to read out of all the books we were reading.
2: Like, yeah. It, like, it was
0: just— it was like trying to bite pudding.
1: Yeah, I I read it just uh in sometime in high school just to see what what all, all the buzz was about, and I remember thinking like, oh, I won't ever read any more of that. Like... <laughs>
0: um, I was actually sort of uh, impressed in the uh, nautical sense into reading the Order of the Phoenix because uh, what was the name of that like that that book quiz system they had? in... AR. Yes, the AR, AR tests. quiz system. Stands for Accelerated Reader. Yes, we had a uh, a competition between our class and another class. I was in... The, the These were the two gifted and talented classes because I was a nerd in high school.
1: Giant nerd.
0: <laughs> a nerd all across middle school, too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I
1: had, like... Hold up, hold up, hold up. Also in elementary school. And also now... Yeah. Like I don't want to I don't want to get you off on the hook at any point. You've always been a nerd. When you were in 5th grade, you were in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream and then you did that again a few years ago.
0: Yeah. Like literally a year ago.
1: Yeah. Like you you can't escape this. You're you're a huge dork and you always have been. Unlike I uh, I'm very cool and good-looking.
0: I I bought a PS3 just so I could play Kingdom Hearts. this is after watching a three-hour lecture about like the mythology and history of kingdom hearts good
1: lord in fairness i'm I'm not gonna pretend like i'm free of sin i'm sitting right next to four copies of the book les miserables by victor hugo (laughs) and i i own a fifth that's not with me uh it's my favorite book i've read it three times (laughs) it is 1,200 pages long.
0: I, I feel like between my affection for the Metal Gear Solid series and your affection for Les Miserables, if we did the fusion dance, we'd turn into Felix Biederman.
1: Oh my god. I still haven't listened to the to the uh, premium episode where he talks about Les Miserables, which I'd love to because I heard the trailer and I was like, yes, some, finally somebody understands me.
0: Uh, it, is, it is fantastic. So, uh, anyway... The actors in this film that we are talking yeah. about, this because the topic a... of our podcast is not feeling
1: <laughs> <usable>. yet. <laughs> I don't know the actors. I'm glad you brought this up because it's a shockingly star-studded movie. Like of course Jim Carrey, who's who's a you know a big get, is uh, the primary antagonist. Timothy Spall is not as big, but like. I, I remember I was surprised to find out that Timothy Spall played Mr. Poe because in my memory, Cedric the Entertainer played Mr. Poe, which is false. Cedric the Entertainer is also in the movie, but in a smaller part, like he plays um, uh, some sort a of det- police detective. Yes, a detective who I don't think is ever given a name. Um, you know, it, in fact, this is off topic. But if you remember, did you ever listen to the uh, commentary track? I did not. I remember listening to it as a kid. There's not much that I remember from it, but one that I do remember very clearly is it's uh, the director and uh, Lemony Snicket, you know, the author. Daniel Daniel Handler, Handler. jinx. Portraying portraying Lemony Snicket. And, uh, you know, the director says – and Snicket is very antagonistic throughout the (laughs) whole commentary. And Daniel Handler says, oh, you know, we have uh, Cedric the Entertainer lending the film a nice urban flair. And then Daniel Handler says, and of course, uh, by urban, you mean to say that he is a black man, which I find a, a confusing turn of phrase. I, I have a wonderful uh, ebony letter opener, and I've never said what an urban <laughs> letter opener, opener I have.
0: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it's a it's a very good commentary, track oh. if you have the time to check that. Oh,
0: I, I will try to find the time to listen to him whine about everything and nothing all at
1: once. <laughs> God damn it. I was quoting your dumbass songs that I heard in middle school. <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ.
0: I don't know. Maybe I'm not quoting anything. Sometimes your mind plays tricks on you.
1: Podcast equals shit. <laughs> yeah, Cedric the Entertainer is in a is in a bit part. Um, Aunt Josephine is played by Meryl Streep. Yes. Which kind of, I mean, it sets a, a, cer- a certain expectation. About how much this film was going to make. Yeah. Because those are not cheap actors to get.
0: Yeah, uh, Billy Connolly is in it too as uh, Montgomery Montgomery, and he's not he's not as expensive as the rest of them, but he is he is a very good actor.
1: He is a very good actor, though I have to say, in in the new series, I cannot remember off the top of my head the guy who plays Montgomery Montgomery, but he, listen, he does a much better job. Hmm. Like. Not to say that that uh, in this film is a bad Montgomery Montgomery, it's very good. Just in the show, it's fantastic.
0: Hmm. Uh, Montgomery Montgomery in this film has what what I think is the the most the the sweetest emotional moment that oh, when yeah, he's uh, playing the auto harp, and then they have that little conversation about uh, you know going to Peru where you know people understand us, and then there's like this 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 long shot and this this uh. This, uh, narration about, you know, they, they, they thought they had finally found home again. And then, of course, Stefano shows up.
1: Another unfortunate event takes place.
0: Uh, did you mention that shot that you loved when uh, Stefano showed up?
1: Uh, the shot with the bowie knife? The train. Oh, I don't think I did. I mentioned off mic, but not on mic. It was, it was going to be my, one of my spa wonders. It, uh, Stefano shows up, uh, having, having killed the, uh... Previous assistant Gustav. He's disappeared under mysterious circumstances, and they have one line, which is like, you know, unfortunately he uh, he couldn't be found. And then there's like a three second shot of a man tied to the front of a train and screaming <laughs> as the train advances <laughs> towards the camera, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, like mucho, that, that mucho gusto, back. bella donna, Italian chef kiss. <laughs> Mamma mia, a Pop, molto bene. <laughs> oh, Salo
0: are the 120 days of Sodom. <laughs> <laughs> a Tortinos a <and> pistarolas. <laughs> hey, that kid stole my bicycle. I'm gonna have to invent
1: Italian neo-realism over this. Uh. <laughs>
0: hey,
1: the rise of fascism is happening in our. Uh, in our country is much nanerum. I I think I, I think
0: we have reached uh, the end of our broadcast hour. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh,
1: We're eating up a lot of time here just saying nonsense.
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, what is your what is your Spall rating first for the film and for Spall himself?
1: Uh, first of all, for the film, I would give it a solid four out of five Spalls. I think it was it was very good. I was I was a huge fan of the film. I was worried that it wouldn't hold up, but it it does. And as for Spall in particular, I'd give him five Spalls. And what about Spall's fashion? Eleven Spalls out of five. One million Spalls. He has a coat. I'm so glad you mentioned this because he has the greatest coat I've seen in my entire life. It's it's all monochrome. It's 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 in neutral colors and dark grays, but it's just zigzags. <laughs> Like, on this coat, like, rows and rows of zigzags, and, like, he's like a Like the Black writer. Lodge. <laughs> exactly. He's dressed like the Black Lodge from, <laughs> like, like if you're watching Twin Peaks on a black and white TV, and they go to the Black Lodge, that's what he's dressed like.
0: Ah. Uh, I, I would also say, four out of five Spalls for the film itself, five out of five Spalls for Spall himself, and infinite spalls for his wardrobe
1: i would have to say before we go any further i looked up the box office stats for this um first of all i want you to try to guess what the budget was and how much it grossed
0: i'm going to say a budget of 25 million a gross of 15 million
1: gross of 118 million budget of 140 million fuck yeah okay uh, then 90 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 209 million so it did break even holy shit
0: they put a lot of money into this yeah like like, that's i i should i should have guessed because like that scene where uh where they go to their house after you know all this business with the fake marriage and the house at first glance is completely fine but when they walk in it starts decaying around them I yeah. really should have guessed higher. I don't know why I went so low.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a great it looks very good, but um Like uh
0: the, the incredibly deadly viper is like a CG creature. Yeah. And it's cute. Yeah. And what there is one moment where the CG sort of conked out on them. Uh there's a scene where they're introducing the Baudelaire children and uh cl- no 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 it's it's later once they've been in his house and they're talking about first impressions how wrong they can be at first and they say that you know klaus really didn't like sunny when she was born but you know within a few years they were thick as thieves and he throws her a thing and she catches it in her mouth and she turns to the camera and it's 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 a very 2004
1: cg sunny yeah Although it's worth noting, if you saw the film Noah that came out a few years ago... I have not, but I have the Blu-ray, and I've been meaning to see it,
0: because apparently it is wild as hell.
1: At the end, there are CG babies that are much worse than this CG baby. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, But anyway...
0: Let's move on to our recommendations.
1: Move on to recommendations.
0: We will be recommending one uh, adaptation of a book... One Jim Carrey film and one piece of late nineties, early two thousands culture.
1: So I'm I'm gonna start off with my recommendation of a Jim Carrey movie. Uh, when I suggested that that's what we uh, what we choose as, as one of our recommendations, you did respond by saying, "Well, we can't both choose The Cable Guy," which was exactly what I was planning on choosing before you said that. Um. But I'm going to hold back because you called dibs. So I'm going to recommend The Truman Show, uh, also a good show. And if you, also, if you have time, then check out his other, what I uh, uh, consider his magnum opus, uh, Son of the Mask. <laughs> that was Jamie Kennedy. No, he was in it. You just need to look closely.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, as Eric mentioned, I'm going to recommend The Cable Guy which I think is Jim Carrey's actual magnum opus.
1: It's a fantastic film.
0: It it is his punch-drunk love, and uh, directed by Ben Stiller, which is, I I believe it's his second directorial feature after Reality Bites, and it is the the beginning of the upward curve on Ben Stiller as a director, which goes through Zoolander, I, I believe there's something else in there, and Tropic Thunder... And after Tropic Thunder, it starts to dive with Zoolander 2 and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty.
1: All right. So then I'm going to recommend a film that was based on a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to restrain myself by not recommending a version of Les Mis this time. <laughs> I'm going to instead say, uh, I believe it's still on Netflix. Uh, if you check out the film Pontypool. Based on the book, Pool Changes Everything, which I'll admit I have not read. Uh, but the the movie is very good for the first two acts. And then it, it falls off a little in the third act, but it's still a, a well-put-together, interesting, enjoyable film. I am also
0: going to recommend an adaptation of a book, the 1995 adaptation of Virginia Woolf's Orlando, starring Tilda Swinton. It is about this this young man in Elizabethan times who is the recipient of either a blessing or a curse from Elizabeth herself, which means that when he is 30, he turns into a woman and then lives forever. Uh, Tilda Swinton is phenomenal as always. It's a very well-shot, very well-designed movie, and Billy Zane is in it because it's the mid-90s.
1: And then I'm going to close it out by introducing uh, – by recommending a bit of late 90s, early 2000s culture. Um, listen, I'm not going to say that this is good because it isn't. But I've been obsessed with it. I've probably watched it four or five times since I've been shown it. It's the music video for Freak on a Leash by Korn. Mm-hmm. Um what happens in this music video is the first part takes place inside of what I believe is a corn album cover of uh, there's a bunch of children and one of them is about to hopscotch jump on the edge of a cliff. And, yes, you know, This is
0: in a an animated sequence that reminds me of nothing more than a
1: The 90... opening of of a nineties Marvel cartoon. Yes, exactly. Like X-Men.
0: Or uh the Silver Surfer cartoon yeah. which had really interesting use a really interesting use of cgi
1: yeah as opposed to this which did not um but they they a security guard runs to uh to catch her he trips his gun falls out of his hands hits the ground and goes off which is a thing that guns don't do (laughs) uh the bullet just barely misses the child flies out of the corn poster through a city destroying many things uh, completely without stopping like at all despite the many walls and and objects that it runs through. Yes yeah, so when Across it, when it city, runs
0: through an object, the object you know explodes like one of those slow motion thing being hit by a bullet things so and just sort of stops there as the bullet keeps going on it just stays mm-hmm. stasis
1: it flies around through the city into another corn poster where it meets the band corn and he starts like shouting nonsense at it. Jonathan Davis like, starts shouting nonsense. I don't know what his name is, the corn guy. His name is Jonathan Davis. I'm going to forget that immediately cuz I don't want to have that information. <laughs> and so the corn guy starts screaming gibberish at it and the bullet starts flying around like a bumblebee and then he shouts go and it Flies out of the corn poster through the city. At first, taking a different route, like around things that it hadn't previously hit, and then intersecting with its old route and going back into the into the poster where it stops in front of the little girl. All I have to say is, folks, that is one magic bullet. <laughs> it's a hell of a video. You should check it out if you have the time.
0: Huh. And I would like to recommend specifically the original broadcast version of WrestleMania X-7, because in the original broadcast version, which is not the version you see on the WWE Network, Limp Biscuit performs, and you see the winner of a WrestleMania and Limp Biscuit concert named Will Borchert, and his his photoshopped uh, submission that won him the contest. It, it's him. Photoshopped onto the cover of Chocolate Starfish, and there are two figures in the background, and the Rock and Steve Austin have been clumsily photoshopped onto them. (laughs) And he 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 he's photoshopped his full body onto there, except for the feet. So the feet of whatever figure was originally on that that (laughs) album cover are just out there, and it's like a weird like deformed thing and and yes there is a the thing reads will bortrecht presents wrestlemania and limp biscuit but aside from the limp biscuit performance and that you also have the greatest use of limp biscuit ever the promo package for the rock versus steve austin set to limp biscuit's my way and of course you have like multiple great wrestling matches but like
1: limp biscuit do you remember when Ben Stiller was in the music video for Roland for, like, <laughs> was a second? He? Oh, my God. Yeah, was he? Like, Right at the beginning, he dry, He and another Hollywood type. Oh, I don't yeah. Know if you can hear, but I'm, I'm watching the music video for uh, Freak Leash right now. I can. But, um, yeah, it's right at the beginning. Him and another Hollywood type pull up in their convertible, and then he gets out and goes, hey. He throws the keys to, to uh, Fred Durst. And he's like, find a place to park this, will ya? Or something. And then Fred Durst looks into the camera and goes, All, all right, right, partner. You, you know, know what, time what time it is.
0: is. Keep, keep on, on rolling, rollin', rollin', baby. And, and then
1: the song starts.
0: Yes. That that video is also a great
1: example of a uh, late 90s, early 2000s culture. I'd like to point out, since I'm watching the music video for Freak on a Leash... Three of the guys from Corn are like the same dude, and then the drummer is Matt LeBlanc. <laughs>
0: hey, I'm drumming for Corn over here.
1: Hey, how you doing? <laughs> so I'm feeling like a freak on leash. But how you doing?
0: I I think with that we are going to leave you. Uh, you can find me at, at @fuckingalpamare. F U C K I N A L mm, P A. Hold on, <laughs> I, I'm forgetting how to spell my own Twitter handle. F U C K I N A L P A M A R E. It's a Swiss
1: water park. I it, it's a long story. You can follow me on Twitter at the Cool Road, which is a short story. I saw. Oh no! Don't follow me on that one. Follow me on at Eric is a joke. I mixed up my twitters.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You've made some pretty funny posts on the
1: cool road. Oh, I've made some good tweets on that one too. But mostly, you can follow me on at Eric is a joke, or you can follow my other radio show, House Berlin at F U N K H A U S B E R L I N.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna spell mine again just to make sure I got it right. One of these attempts. F U C K I N A L P A M A R E, or just search Drilleda Winton on Twitter. Like you'll probably find my account there. Where can we find corn?
1: <laughs> uh, man, I don't, in your hearts. <laughs> in all of our hearts. I'm obsessed because there's this part that I keep. Because he spouses this nas like <laughs> and then and then he says something that's like there's words in it. But it's not like it's not words because there's just enough nonsense to not make a sense like, like, boy, something, not a something, say boy. And I'm like, what's he saying? Like, I've listened to this time and time again. And I cannot figure it out.
0: Speaking of incomprehensible gibberish, I wonder if that's sampled on the new Neil Cicerega, uh album,
1: Mouth Moves. I still have not listened to that because I'm going to find time to listen to all of Mouth Sounds and then all of Mouth Silence and then go into Mouth Moods. Uh,
0: M- mouth Just Moods so. is – it is it is the culmination of the trilogy.
1: Named after Mouth Moods Ahmadinejad, the former Prime Minister of Iran. All right. You can hear more dumb, stupid jokes on Funk House Berlin or next week or two weeks from now. On us, talk. When uh, let me check the Spallmanac to see what we're gonna be watching. Yes,
0: yes. Let let me dig out. Let me dig out the Spallmanac over here. This this tome of forgotten
1: lore. Or Richard Spallmanac. Poor Let's Timothy Spallmanac.
0: Ah, yes. We will be covering 1979's Quadrophenia. All right. Sounds like a plan. See you guys in a fortnight. Goodbye. And remember, Spall is life. Hey, hey.
1: We're not, we're not come really on. doing that, right? What,
0: no. What? What? What's so wrong about
1: it? It's dumb as hell. Uh, it's ball as mm. life. You. Oh, come on. It's good. It's no. It's not good. It's ridiculous. I'm not gonna have any more fucking meme bullshit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Fine.
1: I'm watching Freak Unleash again.
2: <laughs> of course
1: you are!